Well, I feel blessed. I hope you feel as blessed as I do, or even more if that be the case. Uh, today is about blessing. Do you guys feel blessed? I want to tell you, there's electricity happening here. This is a special day. There's some life that has been pumped into us even more, you know, and uh, especially when you have some people visit us. It uh, really helps out a lot. I'm telling you, God's people, God's people who are true to Him and on fire, that's just amazing. I want to tell you that um, blessing to all the nations is the very central promise of the Abrahamic covenant. That's what we've been dealing with. Uh, We have touched on that in the last couple of weeks, especially last week. Um, God showing grace to all the nations. Not just to the, the Jew, not just to one group of people, but to all the nations. That's a great promise, isn't it? And uh, that's considered a blessing. It's fulfilled in the gospel message. Gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's a seed that runs through the Old Testament and just blossoms out right in the New Testament. And of course, right here in the heart of this gospel in Galatians that we've been studying. My, it, uh, you, you can't miss it, can you? And uh, so we get that um, great view of the great promise. But on the other hand, there was another covenant that had been made with Moses that was good. It had a purpose. The law was the centerpiece of the Mosaic Covenant. And if we're talking about blessing from the covenant that was made to Abraham, which was made before there was a covenant made with Moses, we see that what had God had in mind all the way through. And so at the core of the message of that covenant made with Moses is the curse. And it's the curse of the law. Granted, it is good. But that's the reason. When you were born, you were already cursed in that sense. Because of the law. It condemned you. It condemns everyone. And, of course, you uh, can't miss it in uh, all throughout Scripture. And, of course, in the book of Romans, we see how condemned we are with no hope. We've been singing these songs of how we've been made righteous and... Um, the hope that we have. It's all found in Christ. That's the blessing. But the opposite of the blessing is the curse. And if one is not found in Christ at the time of judgment, they will be considered to be cursed. And that's what we're going to be aiming for uh, today. Whenever the Word of God is preached, preached uh, faithfully, you are given a standard uh, to test yourselves when that Word is given. And, uh, of course, one thing, we can uh, affirm the reality of Christ's work that uh, is in our lives. We can affirm that because of the Word of God. And then be renewed with a fresh power, and a new power. Um, and that's what the Word of God does. Or it can come along also, and it should be doing this. It should be pricking, pricking our consciousness. And it should be convicting us. The Word of God should, with the Holy Spirit, and drive us to prayer and drive us to repentance. That's what the Word of God should be doing. And uh, we don't want to take this message here, just pigeonhole this to date of saying, well, that's talking about the uh, the unbelievers. Um, but we're, we're talking about there's a degree here of blessing, and quite the degree. It is written for the church and, and to watch out for these things. And the issue... Uh, causes a continental divide, if I can put it that way, between a divine blessing and a divine curse. Thank the Lord we have been blessed. 
continually blessed. And uh, so it's very key. Uh, We are to realize our position in Christ, recognize that we are poor in spirit, and we are continually relying on the Lord Jesus Christ for all of His grace, all the blessings that He gives us. We're not relying on ourselves whatsoever. That's what He's trying to drive out of us because we have so much self-reliance still here. We still have a self-righteousness here that has to be driven out of us. He's doing it. But if one continues in an exercise of self-reformation, they don't really glory in the cross. Uh, They're not dying to everything but but God. But um, they're not extolling the very powers, the potentials of Christ, but the powers of themselves. And uh, that diminishes the very grace of God. Takes it down. Uh, The cross of Christ is what we want to focus on. So one group of people enjoy the blessings of God. And we're here to be reminded of that here today by all the blessings that He has given and continues to give. And that was to Abraham and all his descendants even the people that were before him who trusted in God. But there's another group. They can even be church members, church members, but they're under a divine curse. That's sad. There are the sheep, there are the goats. That's why we can say and ask this question, why are people under a curse from God? Why is there a curse? Uh, That's what Galatians is going to be showing here. Well, they're in bondage to sin. Complete bondage. They don't accept the diagnosis of the situation that they're in. They can't accept that. And so when they hear the word sin, and they they are sinners and they've offended a holy God, whenever they realize that that is part of the message, many of them don't like it. And you remember when Jesus went to the Pharisees and explained their condition. And He told them something exactly opposite of what they thought they were. They didn't understand that truth. He didn't uh, make himself very popular with most of the religious folk of the day. And uh, they would not accept the diagnosis. If people are going to understand the truth of the Gospel, then they have to accept that diagnosis that you're in sin, that you're dead, you're in the need of somebody to come in from the outside. It's God alone. And so we understand that. And that's how we can understand what the curse is about and then what the blessing is about. What redemption means. You say, well, what is redemption? Or what is that? That's what we're going to be dealing with today. Uh, and because of that, then we can give glory to God and God alone. That's what's amazing. It's due to that Redeemer. So, this text is going to be at the heart of redemption. There's even a, a verse dealing with it. Um, Matter of fact, the idea of redemption, when you really see what that word means and what it meant at that time, they fully understand what redemption was in that culture. And what that does is brings to light an absolute need. Recognize an insurmountable need. No way that I can even meet it or anybody but Christ. And it's insurmountable on the part of those being redeemed. There's a reason for redemption. And what Paul does is he couches that need for redemption. We have such a need. We're needy people. We need redemption, right? It's in the language of a curse. That's how he gets this across. He brings forth this idea of curse. We live under a curse without Christ. It's infinite proportions 
is the power and the impact there. And we are absolutely helpless by our own in any way. Any kind of efforts cannot remove that. Only by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on that cross. So Redeemer is a choice name for our Lord and Savior. He has a lot of names, doesn't he? And of course we sing uh, this morning about blessed be the name. You say the name? Well, the Lord is that chief name. That's his name we see in Philippians 2. But he has a lot of other names that give meaning. And of course Jesus means Savior. Well, Redeemer here is quite a choice name for that. And we find in that uh, capsule the very idea of all that Jesus Christ is and came to do for us on our behalf. B.B. Warfield, the great uh, theologian that goes back to the late 1800s, said this. He's from Princeton. This is about the Redeemer. I'm going to read this. It gives expression not merely to our sense that we have received salvation from Him. Not only receiving salvation, that's great, but also to our appreciation of what it cost Him. What it cost Him to procure that salvation. He goes on to say, it is the name specifically of the Christ of the cross. Whenever we pronounce it, the cross is placarded before our eyes. And our hearts are filled with loving remembrance, not only that Christ has given us salvation, but that He paid a mighty price for it. On your bulletins today, you'll see the word blood there. Interesting. That's what it cost. That's what it costs. That, it's right on the cover of, of your uh, bulletin if you have one there. If you don't ever have one, just uh, let somebody know. Kind of interesting this morning. I, I went in, in the door and uh, had my key and I left the key on me. And as I went through the door with the key, I jerked my finger there and, and had a little bit of a rip. wasn't a big deal, I didn't think. I didn't think there was really anything there. And all of a sudden it was dripping all over the place. didn't know it. I had the bulletins and I, put them, I laid them out here and then they're handed out by Julia and... Uh, Nondor happened to grab the very first one, and I, I had realized that I, you know what? <clears throat> there was some blood on the word blood. Now, what do you think about that? <laughs> Accident, probably. But I thought that was pretty interesting. So I had to tell Nondor that. But it's not the blood of Dennis that paid that prize. I can tell you, he, he, he paid his the price for me with his blood. Anyway, uh, hey, uh, why don't we stand and stretch for a moment? Here we go again, right? Don't want to make you be going to sleep here this morning. And so we go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. We read God's holy word as we respect it. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. 
And oh, may the blessings continue just to pour out from You this morning. You have been so gracious to us. And uh, keep us excited about You and Your truth here as Your Holy Spirit teaches us this morning that we can glean some new truth out of an old passage and that it would be fresh to us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Be seated. And we are at verse 10 of chapter 3. And I will tell you, that there are Old Testament quotes here this morning and they are direct and blunt as can be because they're getting truths across that everybody throughout the ages need to know. And this is the simple Gospel that is so amazing. Um, the first one in verse 10 is going to be out of Deuteronomy 27-26. And remember what, what Paul is doing. And I'm just going to give you a brief capsule here of where we've been. In chapter 3, we get the great doctrine of justification by faith. And what he used in the first five verses was their experience. And he asked them questions. One after another. Boom, 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 boom. And, and they were rhetorical questions. And it's like, you know how you got your salvation. It wasn't by anything but grace. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything extra. It's not faith plus something else like circumcision, right? That's the first five verses. Okay, ready? Let's move on. Six through ten, uh, nine last week. And that used then, now, not only experience, he brought them back to what they were, then he brings something that's even more impacting, and that's the Word of God. So use uh, Scripture there, as Paul always does. He backs up with what they're familiar with. And he used Abraham. Abraham definitely had faith. And everybody would recognize him. He's the father of um, the, the Jews, but he's also the father of us as far as the faith is concerned in, that, in the sense that we're sons of Abraham, as he explains in, this, in that text. Uh, we're sons of God, ultimately. But yet we have the same exact faith that Abraham had. The same faith. He believed God and it was put to his bank account. It was imputed righteousness. It was counted to him. He was given that righteousness because of his faith. And he saw the day of Christ. Now, that's the first ten verses, and now we get ready for verse uh, verse verse nine, uh, verse ten, right? Okay, I'm confused here. Starting at verse ten, and what what we do here is we follow right along with what Paul has been doing. You you, you have chapter three, right? Uh, so far, where we've been, it just makes sense. It's so logical, and he is like a lawyer, just pounding away with one evidence after another. He's given Scripture. He's given, before that, their own salvation that they knew so well what happened to them. And now he sticks it in even harder, showing what the law is and what it is supposed to do and then what it cannot do and then how we are brought out of that bondage, of that curse. Uh, of being damned for eternity. And so that's what Paul covers just in these few, few verses. What we can do is we can basically make an outline out of the Old Testament Scriptures that are used in here in verse 10, in verse 11, in verse 12, in verse 13. And most of your Bibles will have big capital letters when it goes to the Old Testament here. Do you guys have that? You may or may not, but when you see that, you can pretty well see a quote. If you have the study Bibles, it will tell you exactly where it came from, and those are really helpful. 
But the Old Testament makes, uh, uh, in these scriptures, makes a, a point, makes a different point, but they are really uh, progressing, progressing in this logic. It's a very simple matter to follow the outline this morning. I mean, it's just as simple as can be. You have your title up here on your bulletins, you don't have it. Uh, I guess when I made the copy, I had the sheet way up over that, and after I made all the bulletins, I go, oh, you don't get a title this morning. And then I realized, oh, I bet you Zach has it. And he does right there. The curse of the law. The curse. Man, you hear that word, and you have all sorts of different words go around, doesn't it, in your own mind. But the the biblical picture here is taking us back to the instructions for... Really, the renewal of the covenant of the law. The law, the covenant that was given to Moses. He wrote it down. And uh, this Deuteronomy 27, 26, uh, if you wanted to, to go back there, but it's going to say basically the same thing. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. All things. And Paul is just making this argument more and more sound that there are going to be no cracks. There's no cracks already, but he just makes it more solid. So he uses this the text of Deuteronomy 27, Deuteronomy 28, is actually dealing with just the time before Moses' death. And once they're going to cross the Jordan River, they're going to get into that promised land after this 40 years. And you remember, you have 12 tribes of Israel, right? 12 tribes are going to be divided in half. You're going to have six. You're going to have another six. One of them, when they go in to the promised land and they get to these two mountains, one of them is going to be in front of one mountain, another one is on the other side. And uh, six tribes plus the other six and each one of them, after uh, uh, one is read, they will say, Amen. You have an antiphonal uh, answer here on the other side. What, an, uh, what a, an amazing thing that must have been, right? So you have six tribes joining antiphonally, standing there upon Mount Ebal, ratifying the curses that they would face if they didn't follow the covenant of the law. If they breached it in any way. Here's the curse. And the Levites would read the blessings and the curses while the nation is antiphonally saying, Amen! You have all those thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And you have this antiphonal chorus going on. Amen! Levites reading this word here. The warning given by Moses was very clear. God made it very clear, and I'll read just a little bit of this. This is out of Deuteronomy 28, 15, and 45. Uh, it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So all these curses shall come on you, pursue you, and overtake you until you are destroyed. Because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you. Those are ominous warnings. You say, I thought God was a loving God. Well, He certainly is. God is a just and a holy God. And He certainly is. We cannot eliminate any of those. 
we have to see Him for who He is and He has to operate and uh, work in the sense of who He is. He cannot ever go outside of that, can He? You understand that God was serious here. I mean, this is very serious about obedience to His law. And they were to obey everything. Not just most of it, but everything. We're confronted with the concept of curse. Curse. That sounds bad. That doesn't sound uplifting. It doesn't sound positive. We need a positive message here on Sunday morning, Dennis. Well, we do. You just have to wait around for a while. You know, like all the good movies that have the good ending? Perhaps the term conjures in our mind a mysterious figure. Maybe demonically. And plagues are uttered upon people. (laughs) That kind of curse. You think of uh, going down to Haiti or something like that and they pronounce curses upon people. They have their little dolls and they stick pens in and such. You know, that the curse we're talking about. What does curse mean? It means devoted to damnation. Something is devoted to destruction. That's the kind of words. I'm not holding back here today, am I? <laughs> headed for judgment. Headed for hell. Something that is doomed. Doomed. And the thing is, Every man, woman, and child ever been born on the face of this earth and will be born. We're all cursed. We're cursed to those who have violated the law. You say, oh, a little bit of help there. That's good. Violated the law. Wait a minute. (laughs) That's everybody. The Judaizers, they were saying that you have to do this. You have to do the circumcision. You have to do the rituals. You have to... Right? Right? This is how serious Paul is taking this. He's doing this because the Judaizers have come in. And, uh, you know, the sufficiency of faith, being justified by faith, that, that is only thing that can assure us that we do not have a doomed, cursed life ahead of us. And that's what people need to know, right? To Paul, this is so serious that he's got to res- resist any effort that's going to come along that can bring in a damnable legalism. And that's really what curse means. It's damning. And so I, I, I try to use that term uh, in, in a very biblical way. But that, that's really what it means. So Paul is saying, okay, you want to follow the law? Alright, go ahead. Go ahead and follow the law as your means of justification. You go ahead and do that. Just go right ahead. But I want to tell you, you make sure that you obey every detail of the law and every point. And if you leave out the least observance of that law, you are cursed. Oh, by the way, forgot to tell you, you've already blown it. It already has happened. It's not like you can start new and then go ahead and follow that law. And that's what those Christians were being told to do. And some of them were buying that. Okay, yeah, God forgave me my past life, but now, because of my faith and because that I followed the Judaism with all their rituals, that I can, then I will be in heaven. I won't be cursed. What's the nature of the curse? 
nature of the curse that uh, violators fall under the wrath of God. So we have to speak on the wrath of God this morning. By the way, Jonathan Edwards probably wrote one of the best sermons on hell and the wrath of God. And uh, most of you have probably heard that on CD or have uh, read the sermon. If you haven't, uh, please do. Search it out. You can find it anywhere. Go on the Internet if you like. It's probably there. But if not, uh, we'll, we'll get you a copy. Um, I will tell you also, we have some new books that come in. I'll, I'll put in a plug right here. in the. Can you do this? But we'll have some Jonathan Edwards books that just came in. Um, this weekend and, and want to make sure that people know about that. And when we have new books, we want to put them in a prominent place that people can just grab them, boom, they're gone, and there, there shouldn't be anything there for a while. And then bring them back, put them there, and somebody else grab it. But uh, three books by Jonathan Edwards that are edited, redone, very readable, uh, very good uh, stuff. He's one of my favorite theologians. You guys know that. But um, Then we had another book come in by Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, we have some things like that, and I think some more coming in. So we want to keep that fresh. Please use those. We need to be enhancing our faith by reading good books that uh, are based upon God's Word. So, now, Luther calls this curse the wrath of God upon the whole world. That's easy to understand. He also describes it as it were like a flood swallowing whatsoever Without faith, flood just comes in, blows through the dam, bursts out and just overflows. That's part of the idea of this eternal, fiery wrath of God with the flames and such. We take that so key, so serious. It's not empty words here. It's a declaration of condemnation on the sons of Adam. It's the curse of death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine that? Eternal fiery flames. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. They all fall under the curse. Everybody. Everyone who's ever lived, everybody you've ever known, if they've not trusted in Christ, think about it. Think about it. And it uh, kind of makes you desire to share the gospel, the hope of the good news, right? It's completely just. It's completely righteous. And when people say, well, that sounds like a really harsh God. Uh, what it should do to us as Christians is thank You, Lord, for Your mercy because that's where I was headed and I deserve it. And once we say, I deserve that, we're starting to get it. That is recognizing and acknowledging. And that is part of confession. A curse we have earned. And of course, uh, we can we know... Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
the curse of God is indescribably great. It's overwhelming. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, right in the very last chapter of the Old Testament, this is before you start hitting the good news of the Gospel in the book of Matthew. Of course, there's good news in Malachi. And there's good news in every book of the Bible. He says in Malachi 4.1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will, be set, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Serious, an unquenchable fire. He who destroyed the world once with water will soon purge it with fire. He who rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, he will pour out his unquenchable fire on the United States and all the rest of the world with it. His holy wrath will not put up with all this nonsense, sin, that is happening in our world today. And that has happened. Everlasting brimstone of torment will be there. I could hold that back, but I can't. It's part of the truth of the Scripture. That's what he's saying. When he says curse here, it's not lightly. It is horrendous, folks. It's a word that pictures the righteous anger of God being held back he, right now, it's, it's held back. There's some sense, I believe, there's wrath is on our nation and that He is just letting us do whatever we want to do. The homosexuality, all the sexual immorality that's going on and all the things that's going on in our government, in our schools, every avenue in this nation. And yet at the same time, He has held back His wrath. We have time to still keep getting the Gospel out because these people are going to get swallowed up. There are some out there that will respond to that Gospel. Look in Romans 1.18. The Bible doesn't hold back the truth about the law and what it does and condemns everybody. And because of that, if they haven't trusted in Christ, if they don't have the faith that Abraham faith, just believe in God, then he's going to have to bring on his wrath. You think of being justified by faith, and then you think of the opposite, this wrath of God. For the wrath of God, Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven. It is just, the, the curtains are torn back. It's shown, apocalypsis, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. We read Psalm 19 earlier this morning. Here it is. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And it talks about them once knowing God. We watched that movie Friday night. Now let me tell you, that was a blessing. That was a real blessing. And uh, you had... Uh, um, Guy about the ages of our young guys here, Miklos Nandor, for instance, and I can think of younger guys also. And, you know, I think about that, and I think, wow, they they will 
they will get called somewhere along the line to stand up for the truth. And here was this young man in a class with everybody surrounding him who said that God was dead. And they even had written it on their uh, paper. God is not dead. Because the professor told them to. And so they did it, blindly. But he didn't. And then as time went on, he challenged Anyway, neat story. Neat, neat line. But uh, the reason I say that is that the guy that he went up against, the professor, until the end of the story, which I won't tell you. But I will tell you. I'll tell you this. This man, this man was one of those that we see in Romans 1 and where the attributes of God had been clearly seen. But he was so bitter against God, he said he didn't exist. So he's dead. Never was here. And he he gave his life's ambition for telling that to, to as many people as he could. And he'd make the students be that way. So anyway... It's like a mighty river. It's rushing forward. All of its power. And it's being held back by a dam. One time, sometime, it's going to burst. It's going to be released and there's not going to be any kind of force that can stop the wrath of God. The mighty power of the wrath of God. It's amazing. We don't talk about it much, but when it's in our text, we have to deal with it. And when it talks about curse, and it certainly does here, remember, we're getting to redemption. And we're getting to the blessings. And we're getting to the promise. And the Bible always does that. It never leaves you hanging till next week or next year. You know, the, those, some of those TV shows or whatever. You know, They'll leave you hanging till next What's going to happen? Within that text, you're going to get... You're going to get the good news. You might have to wait for a while, especially when you go back to the Old Testament prophets. Oh, boy. But the, the good news is always there. That scarlet thread of redemption is throughout from Genesis all the way through the last book of Revelation. James says in 2.10, James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. If you're going to keep the law, then you can't have one little thing at all that would go against it. <laughs> There's no chances. Is it impossible? That's a terribly bad thought. Oh, my. Yeah, a pane of glass. Boom. You've seen glass just shatter. Right? Football. Make a 100-yard touchdown pass. The guy runs 50 yards. He catches the 50 yards. Boom, runs all the way. And there was one guy who blocked a guy in the back. Uh, it doesn't get a 10-yard penalty. And he has a t- all they have is first and 10 and first and goal. No, they got, they got to take it all the way back. <laughs> For one guy. <laughs> Okay, you can't use sports references because there's some people that don't know about sports. Okay. How about the mirror or the glass just breaking? Okay. Guilty of all. Guilty of all. 
That's the literal meaning of it. Uh, liable to its penalty is the idea. Accountable is the translation. The law stands as a unit, and if you break one point, you're guilty of violating the whole thing. James Montgomery Boyce says this, the law is not a collection of stray and miscellaneous parts some which may conveniently be disregarded, it is a whole and must be kept in all its parts if it is to be considered kept at all. I think that says it well. And that's verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, the Judaizers coming in are under curse. For it is written, curses everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Okay, we covered that, right? Verse 11. Now here's his second Old Testament. Here's our second point in our outline. The law cannot justify us. The law is powerful. It's so powerful that it can send people to hell forever an unquenchable fire. That's powerful. So powerful that it can hold one in bondage for eternity. That's powerful. But it can't justify us. Now, that no one is justified by the law, he's already said that, hasn't he? And he used the Old Testament Scripture, which the Judaizers would have well known. Now that no one is justified by the law before God, in front of Him, is evident, and he uses Scripture, the righteous man shall live by faith. It's not the righteous man shall live by law and faith, or faith and law. The righteous man can only live by faith. He uses Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4 to make his point here. He keeps building on the argument. I think this is rather remarkable. You can't be justified by the law. So, how are you justified? Or righteous and justification is the same thing. Dekayo. The righteous man, the justified man, lives by faith. Martin Luther, when he finally got that into his brain by God and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God being translated in a way that was put that he could understand, all of a sudden, things blossomed. And that's the one that stuck in his mind. Verses out of Romans. But Romans passage is taken from a Habakkuk text. And you'll also see it in the book of Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. This is the foundation stone of the Old Testament. Believe me, do you think those guys who read the Old Testament knew this? Yes, they did. Absolutely. That's what kicked off the Reformation. And that's why we are Protestants today. It took somebody to get this driven home that there is no amount of things you can do at church, at home, regardless of where you're at, to satisfy God. Before Luther became... I think really what Luther was saying, and it just rings through my head all the time, Somebody asked him, Martin, do you love God? Because he was so bothered all the time, but he pursued who God was, and yet he saw. He had to admit that God was a God of wrath and anger. And he knew He was just. 
That's what made him mad. He said, do I love him? I hate him. Why do you hate him? Well, because he saw that there was no way to God. He tried everything. He tried. He tried it. He confessed. Walked out of the confessional. What did he do? Went right back in as soon as he had walked out because he had sinned again. He, it was, he was so sensitive to sin. Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. It's just what's quoted here in Galatians and in Hebrews, which has its basis in Habakkuk 2.4. By the way, let's just go back to Habakkuk and that Old Testament prophet. Let's look at that just for a moment. Habakkuk has a lot of questions to God. Hey God, yeah, yeah, but uh, why... uh, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is Israel doing so much sin? Won't you do something about it? And then he finds out that God also has a plan with, uh, with the Gentiles and He's going to bring judgment. Yeah, I'm going to judge them. That's right. Habakkuk didn't want the judgment from the outside, not from the pagan nations, but God to you know, kind of give them a little whipping. But not that kind of judgment. And uh, boy, Habakkuk is just... He's taken aback <laughs> by, by this... Uh, you know, oh God, you know, really, why would you use a pagan nation to do this? And God says, hey, don't worry about it. I'll judge them too. But in the meantime, I'll judge my nation, my chosen ones that I was going to work through here. Uh, Habakkuk gets an answer from God. God answers him. And in verse 4, we get to this. Behold, as for the proud one, His soul is not right within him. He's not righteous. He is not just. But the righteous will live by his faith. He will live by his trusting in God alone and nothing else. That's all we have. And if that's not good enough, we are doomed. We will be damned if that's not good enough for us. How far does this curse extend? Some would say it was only for the Jews. But here Paul is dealing with a group of Gentiles. He's showing this wrath, the curse of God's wrath and all who view the law as their means of approaching God. And all other religions in the world, and it boils down to two. One, you're saved by grace, grace alone, and He grants the faith and the repentance to us, and we trust and cling to Him on the cross, and that's the only way for salvation. That means we are depending on His mercy. And that's called Christianity. And grace alone. All other religions, all the Eastern religions and all the cults, isms, schisms, schisms, all of those guys, guess what? They're the other religion that are depending on something else to get them there. Some kind of holiness that they can attain of themselves. Find the God within, right? Or, you, uh, like in, whether it be Hinduism, you finally will get it right after you die about a million times. How would you like that? <laughs> Boy, that sounds like fun. There's no hope in that, is there? Confucianism, Buddhism, that's really just erasing everything. Finding nirvana, which is really nothingness. Till I get to a point where I'm really nothing. 
Nothing really exists. Sin doesn't exist. It's just a matter of in my mind. And you get into the Christian sciences. Christian science reading room. (laughs) What do they have to offer? Nothing but lies. So, if they break even the least commandment, they're under the curse of God. And we know they're under the curse of God. Romans 3, verse 10 through 12. Look at that briefly. Briefly. Romans 10 through 12. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? He's talking about the Jews versus Gentiles there. Uh, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. We've already discussed that, Paul says. And here we go. As it is written, here's the scripture saying, and Paul does this, he hides behind the Bible. I love that. I got convicted of that one time by a church. He said, all he does is hide behind the Bible. And I didn't get mad. Matter of fact, I was just beaming. I was smiling. I loved that. I said, thank you. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. They're cursed and they're cursing. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And it's there to condemn them. And then they would realize they have to have some hope. Where do they get it? So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And there's the goodness of the law. It shows us our sin. And it should make everyone tremble and shiver. if you don't have Christ. Thank the Lord. We've been delivered from that curse. The law cannot justify us. It just said it there. The justified person lives by his faith, not by his legal obedience. We're going to verse 12. We've covered two Old Testament passages. Let's go to the third part of that line. This was easy this week to outline. You notice this? However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. And we've already kind of covered this, but it has demands. He quotes this time Leviticus. He's using the law and the prophets. We just came out of Habakkuk. Now we're going back to the law. Deuteronomy. Now Leviticus. Leviticus 18.5, what does it say? He who practices them shall live by them. Okay, start with it. You have to live with it. To your devastation. The law is severe. It's a severe creditor. It demands perfect, absolute, perfect compliance all the time in everything. Absolute perfection. That's the demand. I think it's made very clear in that text, right? Folks, first of all, 
this should go back into our life and we should be so grateful because this is where we were stuck. But secondly, it should drive us to give this news to people who are lost. They need to know. They don't know that they are stuck not only in sin, but a damnation forever. And they need this truth. They are needy people like we are needy. We are needy people all the time. Because we recognize that. We depend on Him. We depended on Him this morning when we, when we, were, when we woke up. That we were still alive. That we took our next breath. That we have a next heartbeat. You know, we need Him in everything, right? The law's demands, they don't give any time off. It demands non-stop obedience. It curses the very first transgression with all its full fury. There's no provision in the law with any remedy from the curse. That's all it does. It just condemns you and leaves it at that. The law. It not only requires what's contrary to your nature, it's, it requires behavior that's impossible. It, it's contrary to uh, a natural man. Natural man. These demands go against his will. A natural man doesn't have the ability to do any of the Ten Commandments. The natural man cannot love God with all his heart, mind, and soul and strength. Because he doesn't know God, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't want to believe in God, right? So he's already broken that first commandment. In the very truest sense, he cannot do it, as Romans 8 says. He will not do it because he cannot do it because he is dead. Could you wish it? You still couldn't do it. You couldn't do holy things. The best thing that you can offer is, Isaiah said... Filthy rags. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. My, the Old Testament's full of this, isn't it? You can't think any holy thoughts. You break all of those commandments just by one, but probably, well, all of them. You know, dealing with lying, stealing, murdering, adultery. Things are in the heart. Jesus explained it. So if you didn't do it outwardly, you did it inwardly. We just broke those laws. We were lawbreakers. Just breaking all sorts of laws right and left, and we loved it. We had a nature that loved breaking the commandments. But we knew it was guilty. We knew we were guilty when we did it. But we just kept doing it. The key word in the life of a truly righteous person is belief. And a true belief. The key word in the law is do. You see the difference? Believe or do. It's trusting or doing. Now because of that, then yes, now we do want to do and we will do. Uh, don't get it wrong that um, uh, faith does not work. Well, we don't work for faith, but faith works. MacArthur had a book out called Faith Works. Think about it. Your faith will generate works. True justification before God demands faith. If you rely on works of the law, that's one requirement, perfect obedience. (laughs) Well, we go to uh, our fourth one. This is where it starts getting really good. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
We've just seen nothing but non-stop wrath of God. And boom, in verse 13, he gives the answer. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, and he uses his fourth Old Testament quote in this section, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Of course, everybody has to be thinking of who? Christ But the Old Testament law uh, comes along. He drives home another point. The law puts us under a curse. The law provides no remedy for that curse. There is nonetheless a complete remedy in the work of Christ. I'm going to say this, and this is going to sound odd after all I said. Did you know that you are saved by works? The work of Christ on the cross. And so therefore, that's the only time we can say, yeah, we're saved by works. Might get the attention of somebody. What? What what, what, what are you talking about? Are you cold? (laughs) Let me explain to you, right? Redemption, the word is ex-agarazzo. To buy out of the marketplace. You've heard of agora, the marketplace, or agoraphobia, the fear of the marketplace. Agora, ex Exit, to go out, to take out, to take, to buy out of the marketplace. Not only buying a slave, this is what it was, the slaves were in the marketplace, one would buy the slave for themselves so they would be a slave for them, and then later on they may take them back to the marketplace and try to get some more money out of them. They traded them a lot of times. But the marketplace, That's where the slave was at. And in that culture, everybody knew about the marketplace. They knew about agarazzo, ex-agarazzo, buying out of the marketplace. Paul loves to use this term because it is a word picture just pregnant with all sorts of meaning here. It implies that you're in a situation that you cannot change in yourself whatsoever. It's something beyond your capacity. And you're a slave. You cannot, unless you run out, right? Seriously, you can't even run out in this situation. But the picture gives us a common scene in the first century, particularly in Rome. Every day, the marketplace, slaves, they'd be placed upon the block and they were to be purchased by someone else. You didn't own yourself. You were owned by somebody else. A slave had no control in his life whatsoever. And it, so for him to be free, as he's in this bondage, it would take someone who would buy him out of the marketplace, never to be in the marketplace, never to be in the bondage again. They'd have to buy him out. There's agarazzo, but this one is ex agarazzo, which is, it gives a, a double meaning here. And what's needed for redemption is, is to take place. It's to be bought out of slavery. And that's the word that Paul uses here. Christ redeemed us from the law. He bought us out from underneath the law. No longer under the curse. He who no, knew no sin became sin for us. The very cup of the wrath of God that we've been talking about earlier. The very cup of the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. That very wrath that that He's at 
one moment in the garden he was saying, Lord, if possible, take this from me. But it was not possible. If we read that today, we realize that he took the foul dregs from God, ultimately. And God, Christ, had everything to do, ultimately, with his death. God killed him in that flesh. Holy Spirit raised him back up for our justification. Yes, we killed him. Yes, the Romans killed him. Yes, the Jews killed him. Everybody killed him. But ultimately, God was in control of that. And Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my own life. They couldn't do it without the perfect timing. Right? Redemption. A price has to be paid. It's the blood of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. On the cross, Christ became a curse curse took the damnation on himself at that time. Moses' law here, when it talks about this quote here, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Someone who has been hanged should not be left up for display in the Jewish realm because the hanging signifies the significance that he is cursed by God. And it's an open shame how shameful can that be? It's the shame of the shameful. This is the ultimate shame. So he should be buried and put out of sight. That's what one was. You're considered cursed if you're up there on that tree. The very day of the man's execution, they were to be taken down from there and buried because it would defile the land. And that's the text that that's being quoted from in Deuteronomy chapter 21-23. Can we even begin to imagine the horrible weight of our sin before a holy God on that cross? Have you ever tried to imagine that? I have and I, I can't get very far. I don't know how deep and dark my sin really is. I'm thankful the Lord doesn't expose it to me. I don't think I could live I think I would just die of a heart attack recognizing the sinfulness and the evilness that was in me that has been taken away from me, but my flesh still has it. I hate the flesh because in Galatians 5, which we are gearing up to, says that the Spirit hates the flesh. The flesh hates the Spirit. Are you in a war? Constantly. And we are in a monster battle of a war. The enemy hates us so much that he brings a lot of things against us. It's a war. Can you imagine though the severity of God's wrath upon Christ? And we deserve that. Can we understand the absolute holiness of God who has never sinned, cannot sin, will not sin, perfect in every way. He cannot change. Can you imagine that absolute holiness? Well, that's the ride that we're on right here today, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every day of the week as you pour into God's Word. 
were to discover more of His holiness because we can't grasp it all and it'll take an eternity to understand that holiness. But we have started the ride and I'm, I'm telling you it's incredible. That's the thing that we need to stress the most in our ministry. The holiness of God. Because when you see the holiness of God, then you see the need of sinners. We see evangelism then come up because of the holiness of God. We should be just desiring to get this good news out that you can be taken from the holy wrath of God because He offers it. Oh my. We're right at the end, aren't we? We're still on redemption. By the way, when he said for us, I've got to get penal substitution in there again because it is penal substitution here. You, you get this, don't you? You catch this, right? He, he took on the curse. I mean, he took. Uh, he's not just an example on the cross. He took literally our sins on him and he had to be taken, right? Okay, the good news is now ringing out. He was punished for our sin, That's a judicial punishment. Penal. Substitution. Takes our place. He took our punishment. When He takes our punishment, He gives us His righteousness and puts it on us. Perfect life demands the perfect law. The perfect life who lived it, Jesus Christ, was the one who could take this punishment and live. His death fulfilled the demands of the law. We know this. This is so basic. We hear it all the time, especially in Galatians. It seems like we've heard it week after week. It sounds like the same message in us. Well, it is. But I hope it's put in a little bit different light as Paul hammers it down with more Old Testament Scripture and it should become more firm in our own thoughts, right? He became a curse for us. Do you know what curse means? Yeah. Here we go into verse 14. We'll close out with this verse. You ready? This is the best part. In order that in Christ Jesus, remember what I said earlier when we started out, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. That's us. So that we would receive, get this, the promise of the Spirit through, what's that word? Faith. And that's what Paul is hammering. Faith. It's faith. You can say, that's too simple. You just can't get in there by faith. You've got to do something. Paul says, through faith. Believing. Faith means trusting Him. Faith means obedience. Faith and obedience go together. But it's something that He grants us. That, and now we trust Him so much, we want to do whatever He wants us to do. Paul brings us right back to the starting point. The Abrahamic covenant. Remember when he started using Abraham last week in verses 6-9? through nine? He used Abraham there. And that covenant, Christ made it possible for that promised blessing full and free salvation. It's marked and it's stamped and it says paid for eternity. You were bought. You are a slave. That's a joyous term. I love that. That's one of the best terms for a Christian that you can have. Rejoice in being a slave. You're a slave of Christ. You were a slave of the devil. 
Satan, sin, the world. You're a slave of that. Got to serve somebody. <laughs> I'm glad to serve Christ. He fulfilled the law, put it out of the way. The promised blessing of the Abrahamic covenant can now be unleashed on not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles across the whole world. The very same blessing of righteousness that Abraham had is ours. You say, that great hero of the faith, Abraham, who's found in Hebrews 11, and I have his same faith? I don't think so, Dennis. I mean, I believe Jesus, you know, but not the same faith he had. Yeah, yeah. Same faith that Abraham had. That's what Paul is saying here. The promise given through the Abrahamic covenant, not the curse given through the Mosaic covenant. Purpose clause here, verse 14 in the Greek, in order that in Christ Jesus two things become ours. The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What's that? What is the blessing that came to Abraham? I'll tell you what it was. Romans 4 tells us that the great blessings God gave to Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed and he was given righteousness. There's something else. The blessings of Abraham. It just keeps getting better. Here we're told in Christ... We are in Christ. There we go again. What does Paul always say? In Christ. In Christ. We're either in Adam, in sin, or in Christ and in His righteousness. And once you have become a Christian, you're in Him forever. In order that in Christ Jesus, we receive the gifts affected by the redemptive work of Christ. Received by faith. In Christ Jesus. Relationship by faith. Now we have to get to the, the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit. And we close with this. We're sons of Abraham, right? We see the, the same right standing with God that Abraham did. The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. We've been declared righteous before God. We've been declared, declared righteous because of the faith that He has granted us. We are vessels of clay and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He calls us vessels, pots of clay, jars of clay. Clay. Earthenware came out out of the dirt, common, and the Spirit of God dwells in us. That's remarkable. Apostle showing here that all who are justified will show forth the evidence of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And here we go. I want you to hang on to your chairs. You know all these, but to be reminded of these. It just kind of blew me out of the roof the other night when I was reading these. Are you ready? Are you ready? Right at the end. That we would receive the promise of the Spirit. We've already received Him. What are they? Just a few. We could go way past 30 of them. I don't have the time. But here's some of the things, and they're going to be quick. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and gives us new life. Jesus talked about that in John 3 with Nicodemus. We were regenerated. You look in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. The washing of regeneration. He gave us life. We were dead. We could not, right, raise us to life. Is that pretty exciting? doesn't stop there. It then says, He seals us in the body of Christ. 
He keeps us secure until the final redemption. There is one more redemption. You say, what's that? I thought we were already redeemed. You get redeemed in a new body. Aren't you glad? I mean, we were taken out, uh, you know, but we're still in the body, so something has to be done with that. Our spirit. Wow, to the, uh, Ephesians 1.13 talks about that, about being sealed. And He serves us as the earnest of our inheritance. That means now we are guaranteed. It's a guarantee. It's a down payment. Ephesians 1.13 and 14 talk about that. We are sealed. It's guaranteed. It's like when you make a down payment on a house, you are guaranteeing that you're going to continue to pay for that and that loan, and then when it's paid off, it's it's there. But you you just made a down payment, guaranteeing that he's guaranteed. You know the Holy Spirit is in you because Romans eight talks about that, because he leads us as God's children and he bears witness. His Spirit bears witness with our human spirits that we truly belong to Christ. And that's found in Romans 8, verse 12 through 17. And so, and it's not a burning in the bosom as we say, as uh, we hear that from cults, but we know because the Word of God says this and there's something real here in our hearts that we know because of truth. He leads us as children. He witnesses with us that. Another one, it's uh, He indwells us so that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9, 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20. He indwells us. We are bodies. We are indwelt by Him. Bodies or temples of the Holy Spirit. Another thing He does is He unites us with Christ, linked together. In Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He unites us with the body of Christ all throughout the world. 1 Corinthians 12.13 About being temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 I says that, right? Not only that, but He fills us. He commands us to be filled. He empowers us as Christ's disciples and as witnesses in the world. You are empowered with the truth and the reason you can go up against those hating atheists that exist today, they're not just atheists that are silent. They are vocal today. Very hateful. That's the way they are. And we can go up against them and they don't have a chance. Because we have the absolute truth. There is nothing to fear, no matter how intelligent they may seem. To be honest with you, they don't believe in God. The Bible calls them what? Fools. It's a fool who says there is no God. We have truth. Stand firm on the truth. So We have the power, don't we? To be these witnesses in the world. You guys ready to go out and witness to the world? The other thing He does is He teaches us and gives us an anointing by the way we can recognize truth and error. All Christians should be able to recognize truth and error. John 14.26 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. And 1 John 2.20 talks about the anointing 
of the Holy Spirit who is in all of us. All Christians have that anointing to be able to read God's Word, to understand it, to discern truth and error. Lastly, we could just keep on going. Doesn't this kind of elate you just to be reminded? You know all of these. But just to be reminded is incredible. He gives us spiritual gifts according to His good pleasure and each one of you is different and precious to Him as He gifts you for the purpose that we would serve Him through the local body of the church. And that's why the local body is very important because we need you. We need you badly. Because if we don't have you, we don't have your gift. We're missing your gift here right now. If you're not here, we're missing that thing that nobody else has. Or a combination of a little bit of a gift here and there. Everybody's different. Have you noticed when that person's not here how much you really do miss them? Not just their presence in a pew, but when you talk with them, there are things that you glean and learn and you see how the Lord's working through them in their trials and in their tribulations, times of just great joy that they're going through, you know? The scripture of that last one about serving Christ or local church by those gifts found in First Corinthians twelve and Romans twelve. Does your faith rest in Christ alone? In his grace alone, faith alone through the Scripture alone. He became a curse for us so that we might be redeemed in Him. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to have uh, take a little bit of time because we have all sorts of announcements and things that people need to share with us this morning that I found out. And I'm going, oh, this is good that this works out. We're really we're not having the Lord's Supper today, but we're going to have a time of prayer and a little bit of sharing here. I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, there's some really new, fresh things that people need to hear, and some of them I'm just I can't wait to hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We have been blessed this morning. Not because of me. Not because of anybody else. But because of You. Because of the Son, Jesus Christ. And when we see what You have done in delivering us from where we were at and bringing us to this point right here, and not only right here, but all the way through eternity. And Lord, we can just be nothing but joyful because of this. And may this really bring truth to our ears one more time that it would convict us and yet bring a subtle joy that we have in the person of Christ who lives. Because He lives, we live also. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.